welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters, but then we'll take weeks where we don't discuss the Bronte sisters or Jane Austen at all, and we will pit Louisa May Alcott against Frances Hodgson Burnett. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austen. Now, this week, everyone, we are going to dive straight into the chapter discussion to make time for a, like, I'm going to call it last minute, Lauren. I'm putting, mm-hmm. I'm putting it out there. Last minute okay. discussion of the secret garden. Because when we were reading this book, it kind of became more and more apparent as the weeks went by that there are a lot of similarities between these. Yeah. It's crazy. They really are. It's insane. And it's it just felt so perfect to like to bring up Francis a little early like we're gonna get into Francis this fall with her read along and like talk about her backstory and her life but I was like oh we just we just gotta get a little little bit of Francis in right now and am I right in thinking that in kind of the same way that you have with uh, Austin versus Bronte discussions um I think that Louisa May Alcott is perhaps the Austin in this relationship and then Francis is the the Bronte Right? A little darker. I think so. Yes. Weirdly enough, I think so. Even though Louisa is a big fan of Charlotte Mm -hmm. and um, heavily influenced by Charlotte. Now, we've touched on this like a little bit on the show. I do want to get into this more in depth in the future. But she did read Jane Eyre and was heavily inspired by it. She did read um, Elizabeth Gaskell's Life of Charlotte Bronte and just like felt like she was literary sister's like with Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, but then kind of weirdly didn't really take a lot of inspiration from her, except for her book called Moods. Now, when you read Secret Garden, I'm like, holy shit, this is Jane Eyre for children. Well, I've, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll yeah. talk, we'll talk about this. Yes. It's coming up. Lauren. It's coming up. Tell us, yeah. tell us about Eight Cousins. Tell us about chapter 17. Yeah. Let's wrap up Eight Cousins real quick, guys. Cause oh, it's a lot to discuss lot to discuss. Okay, chapter 17 is called Good Bargains. And this is when the gang all goes to TJ Maxx and Filene's <laughs> Basement and Marshall's, and they are hunting for some good back to school, you know, shopping deals. No, just kidding. That would have been interesting. <laughs> You're like, what book? What? Which? Yeah. What are we reading? What's happening? Um, no, um, the boys are actually reading and lounging in the library, as they say, as the little one says. The little one, um, little Jamie. Little Jamie can't pronounce library. How cute. Um, I actually, this this caused a, like an uproar on our Facebook group. I kind of love this chapter a little bit. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love all the slang. And this was like, I thought like where we really got some of the boys personality too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, I've been waiting for that. Yeah. So Prince is bored and he's like laying around and... Oh, no, he's not bored. Oh, wait. No, he is. Sorry. <laughs> I get all these boys confused. Prince is like lounging in the library and he's bored. And then Archie is like very serious and he's reading a newspaper. And um, he's just like looking at Prince, like, read and improve your mind, my son. <laughs> so I was like, how, how old are you, Prince? He's 16, or how old are you, Archie? I mean, guys. He's almost a man grown. He probably has like three mustache hairs or something that he's like super proud of. Right? Just like cold smoking a cigar. Yeah. Reading the news of the day, reading up on his stocks. 
And um, so then Rose comes into the library and she and they're all like, wait a minute, Rose is coming, like, got to throw our cigars in the fire. <laughs> and because gentlemen don't smoke before ladies. No, nice. that's a thing. And um, I love that Prince is just like, I'm just going to put this to the side because like, I'm not going to waste my weed. That's what he says. I'm not going to waste my weed. Oh, Prince. I mean, um, Lauren, you know, I like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have fun cutting that out. <laughs> I don't like to waste my weed either, folks. And by weed, I mean wine. So Rose comes in and she's like the ultimate party killer. And she's just like, you can't, you can't smoke. And they're like, well, we'll give up smoking basically if you give up your earrings, mm-hmm. which is sad. And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you because she's so noble. She's so noble. So, um, yeah, there's just, I also liked this quote from Archie, just for shame, Prince, let her wear her little danglers if she likes. Yeah. Her little danglers. Little like danglers. all the the language, all the dialogue is really fun in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, so then, okay, here's where it gets, it gets crazy, right? Well, I just quickly before they move on to the book. So last week we were discussing like, why did Alec give up smoking? Why is it a bad example, right? What's the attitude? And it's um, in this chapter, it does just say it's, it's because it, it doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. Like smoking is just a, like, it's just a selfish thing. It's just money and time spent doing a thing that doesn't benefit anyone. So like, that's the, that's the problem. That's the reason. It's not really like a health thing. It's just like, it's a money thing. It's like, well. And like, a lot of our smoking conversation got cut out of the show, but Hannah and I were sitting around like, gosh, were they, was it for health? Like, what's going on here? Oh, was it not in the episode? Did we cut it? I think part of it, part of it. But we, we went on like for quite a while, just like, what? What were Victorian attitudes towards smoking? We did not know. But it was just, it's just yeah. a self-indulgence that people could do without. And that's why it's comparable to Rose's, like, earrings, I guess, right? Because it's Yes, just, exactly. It's, agree. it's not, it doesn't, you don't need it. You don't need it. Yeah. So, yeah. So Aunt Jessie comes in and she starts the trashy book conversation, basically. So... We've talked a lot about this on the show, about how um, people talk about books within books. Mm -hmm. And should I just read this? (laughs) Yeah. So Jessie comes in and this is what she says about um, the material that the boys are reading. And, And the way I would like to compare this to is like almost today, like it's like a mother chastising her son about the video games they're playing. Yeah. Basically. Um, because they are not, she's seeing them as not beneficial. Mm-hmm. They're just trashy stories, pirate stories, um, where people, you know, smoke and swear and all that good stuff. But also and you're not sh- yeah. learning anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or even um, if you are, it's that like, life is a certain way, but it should be, I don't know. Like, yeah. Things are easier, perhaps, in books than they are in real life. Like, things just happen or things fall into people's laps and that's not, like, a realistic thing. Yeah. She wants them to be, like, reading realistic portrayals of life that teach you something, (laughs) basically. So she says this. The writers of these popular stories intend to do good, I have no doubt. But it seems to me they fail because their motto is, be smart and you will be rich, instead of, be honest and you will be happy. 
I do not judge hastily, Alec, for I have read a dozen at least of these stories, and with much that is attractive to boys, I find a great deal to condemn in them. And other parents say the same when I ask them. <laughs> Lots to unpack in that, that statement, actually, I think. Um, and I forgot to mention, Alec kind of like comes in the room and he's just sort of like observing this whole thing just mm-hmm. with a look of amusement, basically. Um, I kind of like the motto part, be smart and you will be rich instead of be honest and you will be happy. Because what is Louisa May Alcott doing herself in her own life? Yeah. She's being smart. <laughs> like... She's writing for money, guys. <laughs> she's not being honest and like, she's not being honest about a lot of things about herself, I think, the more I read about Louisa. And she's not writing like the great literary pieces that she aspires to write. Like she's not, like, I mean, she does write moods. Um, there's actually some issues with moods. It like gets cut in half. Like it's kind of, you know, writing for pleasure and writing for like fame often gets you (laughs) into like not the greatest of places, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's not super happy with her great literary pieces, but she is writing for money and she's writing this piece for money. And so she's being smart. (laughs) Yeah. It feels to me more like a comment of writing overall and not, she's not condemned. I don't think she's condemning it because that would be hypocritical. And it's interesting too, because rereading this book as well, what I'm really struck with as an adult is that I love the book and I love the story and I love how much I can relate to it and how much I relate it to my childhood. But I don't think this is like the greatest work of fiction. No, it's not. You know? But it's interesting. Like, it's it, is, interesting. it is interesting. And like the discussions yeah. that we're having are great. And like, I cannot wait to read Rose in Bloom. But it's just, it's interesting that it's like, she talks about, children and reading and like it's so it's such an instructional book and Mm -hmm. I just didn't realize that it's like it's moral first and style second yeah it's not definitely like an exploration of the art form of writing is it no no it's not and I think that she's very much doing her job yeah or what she sees as her job yeah She's not trying to put out a great piece of literary work. She's trying to, you know, get paid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, I kind of like the, you know, the back and forth with Jesse and the boys. And they're just like, you know, I like this book. It's a regular screamer. And, you know, Jordy's like, they're bully books. Like, there's no harm. And just all the cute language that they're using here. Um, <clears throat> the boys do have a good back and forth with Jesse, which is why I think this is important because in the other chapters we're going to see following what happens is there's like a situation with an aunt and then alec comes in and shuts it down Mm -hmm. but in this conversation about books alec's just kind of like sitting back and like watching jesse and her boys argue about you know about these books and just kind of like "Eh," laughing and i think that jesse is not louisa's mouthpiece alec is Louisa's mouthpiece. So I think, you know, a lot of people were like, is Louisa trying to say we should, we should ban these books? No, because Louisa May Alcott wrote sensationalist novels herself, right? Exactly. So if you, I think she's making a comment on the people that want to ban these books. Yeah. Yes. Because it would be hypocritical. I mean, she's the one being smart. She's the one that wrote sensationalist books. Like, I think it's a conversation that she's interested in in having. 
Yeah. But I don't think those are her personal views. So Joy commented, um, so I really dislike the part where Aunt Jessie scolds the boys for reading trash novels that teach them to gasp, use slang. Um, and then, you know, she adds a quote by Louisa, which I'm going to skip. But she does say, uh, to wrap it up, it seems so irritatingly self-congratulatory, like Louisa May Alcott is preening herself on having written such a book. And um, then she linked to an article where we do discuss that um, Louisa was not a fan of writing children's literature. She was kind of like backed into it. She was doing it for money. She did write sensation tales. And so Joy's like, oh, well, maybe she's being more satirical, like question mark. Mm -hmm. And Carly commented, oh, interesting. I like the idea of her being satirical in general as a little joke to herself. But in another part, the class's undertones at least seem sincere, saying her sons are a better class of boys than boot blacks, newsboys and ragamuffins seems kind of like poor blaming. Mm hmm. Um, that's a hard comment to unpack because I, I don't know if it's quite poor shaming. I do think they're spending a lot of money on these, on educating these boys, right? Yeah. They are of a certain class. This is the reality of the situation. And she's like, I don't know. Has, hasn't, has everyone heard this from their mother? Like I went through a period of time where I was like cursing quite a bit. But I, th- I think the whole, I raised you better than this is like, um, universal of all classes. Yeah. All, all mothers feel like they're raising their sons to be better than perhaps they behave sometimes. Exactly. Like, I, yeah, I just remember, you know, when I went through my cursing phase, my mother was just like, no, you are better than this. You are not a truck driver. You know, like you are, you're going to talk like a lady. Yeah. And I think that's really at the heart of this. And I kind of think it's more like, we're letting the scene play out and we're kind of looking at it from Alex's perspective, just kind of like leaning back in the sofa and watching mm-hmm. it play out. And Jesse doesn't quite know what to do because she doesn't quite understand new media is basically the thing, right? It's just like the same thing that happens today. Like, I don't understand these video games. Like, yeah, they're not adding anything to your life. Like you should be focused on more serious things and you should be behaving the way that I want you to behave. <laughs> But I think something that Carly went on to say was like, perhaps there was more of a division in that time between the good Christian poor like Phoebe and the poor who give in to vices like slang. And I think that is, I think it's more that than it is like a class thing because Mm -hmm. the Victorians were hugely about morals and like being morally good and then helping those that are like like below you be be morally better than they are and like not turn Mm -hmm. into the drink and trying to like educate the poor so they can be like good Christian people like way more I think than a lot of a lot of other time periods as well so when it comes to like the books it's not even so I think yeah I I think it I think like the just they're not moral books and like slang isn't a moral thing you know and so And also, um, you have to think about who Louisa May Alcott's writing for. So Mm -hmm. she's writing for a magazine called St. Nicholas, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, She's reinforcing the brands and the ideals of the magazine as well. Yeah. Because the magazine is a very wholesome, it's a very wholesome, you know, book or a very wholesome magazine for you to buy for your children. 
And um, like anything, like when you subscribe to anything, they want to make you feel good about your subscription, right? So if you are one of these upper middle class parents that has subscribed to this magazine for your children, you're reading this to your kid, you're like, I feel good because I've made a good decision (laughs) about giving this to my child, which is like still the ideal like marketing technique for, you know, marketing to children, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's that to keep in mind as well. Um, I used I used to write professionally about wedding cakes, and um, I've got very complicated views about marriage. And also, I don't think you should spend six hundred pounds on a wedding cake. But yeah, you know that was my job. So I used to write write hundreds and hundreds of words about how it's absolutely acceptable to spend that much on a cake. Yeah, so, it's important to remember that writers write for money and. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times we look at these books and we're like, oh, this is like 100% the pure thoughts of these authors. And we're not taking into account like marketing and editing and like other just day to day realities of writing, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so, yeah, I just overall, I think Alec is the mouthpiece here. And so maybe we should pay attention to what Alec is saying. And um, Alec, uh, like it's kind of he's laying, hanging back and he says, you have laid a hard task out for yourself, Jesse, in trying to provide good reading for the boys who have been living on sensation stories. It's like going from raspberry tarts to plain bread and butter. Like, he's like, but you know, it'll probably do them good in the end, basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's just like, huh, not my fight. I don't really feel very passionate about it. It's a conversation, but sensation stories definitely better they're raspberry tarts yeah it's like acknowledging it's the thing that you kind of want but you know you shouldn't have yeah exactly i do wonder Um, if alec would have been um so chill about it if it was rose reading the books so his little angel we do know that rose prefers um prose and poetry and nothing has been made of her reading poetry or like or or stories well we have fairy stories yeah I don't know that she's read that many so, yeah. of them this year. Yeah, we she hasn't. We don't see her reading them, but we do know that she prefers them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I don't. It, I think this is a hard case because it's like this book is so moral, and we're always looking for the moral. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. We'll move on, guys. But it's a great conversation in Facebook. Everyone, go read it. Check it out. Sorry, I just have to burp. <laughs> I can always tell when you're burping because you sound, you sound like a robot when you talk. Chapter 18, Fashion and Physiology. I like so, this chapter. Um, this is a nice chapter, but <laughs> it's interesting. Okay. Um, Clara, where have you been, Clara? I feel like you've been out of the picture for a while. Is dressing Rose up like a little... A little doll, like a little fashionable heiress, basically. And everyone is like totally horrified by this this mm-hmm. outfit. And I was like, oh, I wish I had a illustrated edition right now. Yeah, like if you have. To... No, mine's not illustrated. It's not? Okay. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, someone, someone send us a picture. Um, And then basically Alex swoops in and is like, this outfit's ridiculous. Well, actually, and Phoebe I have a better one. him. And I love that. <laughs> Phoebe runs in. She's like, "Mr. Alex, like, oh no, you've got to come quick." She's like, scattered out by it. 
She looks ridiculous. Yeah. She's like, you're not going to like it. And then Alec, you know, it's kind of hard because I feel bad for Rose because Claire is trying to lend her expertise, right? This is her area of fashion. And then Alec's like, no, 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 don't worry. I've already got it. And he like comes in to save the day with this very neat, very plain suit with just like good materials, just well tailored. Just, you know, you're going to look clean and neat and fashionable. And that's how I want to see Rose. And then he kind of was like, Claire is not happy with it. And then he kind of puts Rose in the middle, like, Rose, who, you know, who would you go with? Like, who's who's winning the battle here? Yeah. She's like, and she's like, well, I kind of like Alex better. So, yeah. Um, exactly what I want, answered the provoking doctor, rubbing his hands with a satisfied air. Rosie looks now like what she is, a modest little girl who does not want to be stared at. I think she would get a glance of approval, though, from people who like sense and simplicity rather than fuss and feathers. I would just I would just like I I would recommend that um, anyone who is unsure about these the things that they're talking about. So Aunt Clara is like, heaven's not a bloomer. Look up what bloomers were, because they weren't just uh, they weren't just like the pants that you wore underneath your dresses. They were like these weird oversized like wearing a pair of frilly culottes but with a corset as well and like they're weird looking so I looked at the fashion plates for those and the suit that Alec gives her it's not just that she's wearing this plain suit it's that she's she's basically got like a pair of trousers on underneath she isn't wearing a corset she isn't wearing a tight belt she can still move in it um and it's warm whereas uh the very tight skirt and like high-end fashion that Aunt Clara is recommending there's no mobility. She, like she cannot move around in it. She's wearing heels. Um, her eyelashes are like stuck in this little veil. Everything's constricted. Yeah. So you can like, I get why Rose would be like, well, I like his, but the the dress that he's got is described as a Gabrielle dress. Mm-hmm. Just Google it. They're very pretty. <laughs> They're fine. So it isn't, because I, I was trying really hard to picture what it is. And on the front of my book, she's kind of wearing this loose skirt and like jacket vibe with a little hat. And as the kid, that's always what she's wearing in this scene. Mm-hmm. But when I looked it up, I think it's, I don't think it's as like chalk and cheese as the chapter makes out. Probably not. And he yeah. also makes a point of saying this very fashionable woman who Aunt Clara admires has an outfit just like it. And so by the end, he's also won Aunt Clara over in spite of herself. So it's true. It's it's just annoying. I'm annoyed with Alec. (laughs) I know you are. So I just have to be the voice of reason because yes, misrepresent the facts. (laughs) Uh, Because I'm even more annoyed with Alec in like chapter 19 (laughs) in brother bones. Well, no, there you go. Now that, so, now that I've given them the truth, you can move on. Right. <laughs> um, Rose attends Dr. Alex's whimsical school of medicine. Um, the best thing about this chapter, though, is like the skeleton hanging from the chandelier. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty manic pixie of him. <sighs> yeah, come on. Um, and then later when they're kind of poking fun of like the chandelier skeleton... He gives this like sad story about like, hey, like, hey, respect this skeleton. Here's here's the story behind this. And I'm like, Alec, you're the one that like hung it up in the chandelier. Like, (laughs) 
So um, this this chapter is actually kind of funny because uh, Rose is she's learning about the human body. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Aunt Myra comes in because, as we all know, that's Aunt Myra's thing. She's, you know, always she's fixated on illness. And then she also killed Caroline. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Unclear how she did it. Too many pills. Too many pills. Um, I do like that Aunt Myra says, cheerfully, it's a dying world, child, and don't much matter where the pain is. For sooner or later, we all drop off and are seen no more. Good. Like, why even learn about this? Because you're just going to die of something anyway. (laughs) And uh, Rose does say, well, I intend to know what kills me if I can. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy myself in spite of a dying world. I wish you'd do so, too. And come study with Uncle Alec and I. So, like, yeah, it's good. Rose is getting a little bit more saucy. I like that. I will say as well that what I really like about this chapter, as opposed to the ones that we got quite worked up about last last week, is, like, we're kind of back to Rose learning about stuff that isn't just domestic, you know? Yeah. Housework. Yeah. And, his, and I, I understand his reasoning for it. It's like, if you understand how your body works, then maybe you'll understand why the stuff that I'm saying to you is bad is bad and you won't like yeah. needlessly medicate yourself. Like you'll understand I'm breathless because I'm crushing my lungs, not right. I, I'm wearing a corset. I don't know why I'm sick. So I'm going to take this medication, but keep wearing the corset, you know? Mm-hmm. The importance of a well-rounded education. Mm-hmm. It's good. No, I, I like it. Um, It gets really sad when, well, first of all, he shuts down Aunt Myra. So, <laughs> Again, this is like another chapter where that's that's who the mouthpiece is, right? Like that's it's Alec because like he shut down Clara last chapter and now he's shut down Aunt Myra. He's the one that's right. Well, I almost feel like these little moments are like um, the trials of Hercules a little bit. It's mm-hmm. like the test at the end of the book where uh, Rose is being pitted against these aunts and she's having to like come against them. So it's like, will she learn about physiology? Is she going to say no to the fashion plates? And it's all... Like, how effective has this year been that they've had together? Right. Um, The chapter does get a little sad when Mac comes in. And yeah. he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? Let me uh, let me study with you. Let me hang out. Because he still can't read. He still can't read. And he's really um, interested in the lesson. And he's he's like, yeah, I'm glad that we're having these conversations. <laughs> Like, I never talk with my parents because they're too busy doing their own thing. And like now, like we and we don't have this established form of communication. And so we might never get into it, basically. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, So, yeah, this is like Louisa's quote on that. Fathers and mothers are too absorbed in business and housekeeping to study their children and cherish that sweet and natural confidence, which is a child's surest safeguard and parents' subtlest power. So young hearts hide trouble or temptation till the harm is done and mutual regret comes too late. So it's just like, damn, Louisa. Yeah. Chapter 20, Under the Mistletoe. This is like another chapter that kind of brought me down at the end. (laughs) So we start with Phoebe and Rose opening up their stockings. And I'm like really disappointed that we don't get a play by play of 
everything that's in the stocking. I like that um, Alcott's approach to Victorian Christmas is the same as Gaskell's approach to a Victorian wedding, and where they're like, "Tell me everything," and they're yeah. just like, "Nope." <laughs> She's like, you yeah. know what happens at Christmas, and you're like, "I'm reading this like hundreds of years later. Please, yeah. tell me <laughs> what's in the stocking. What is in that? Is there an orange in there? What's in there? I get an orange in mine. Do you? Yeah, and some nuts. Oh. I usually get a Lego playset. And like a DVD, maybe. Well, not anymore. <laughs> a book. I get a book every year. Since get a book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know what Phoebe and Rose got in the stockings, but they were very happy with them. Hopefully some weed and some hash and some prick clickers. <laughs> <laughs> Just to list all, the, all of my favorite things from this book. <laughs> Um, there are two additional presents outside the door. Phoebe lets Rose know. It didn't fit in the stockings. One is a sled and the other is a pair of skates. So Rose goes ice skating. Uh, what a lovely, lovely Christmas day. She comes back. There's like, you know, all the cousins are there. They're making dinner. There's some, you know, mistletoe chasing. That's kind of fun. And there's a little bit of casual racism when uh, our Chinese friend comes by as well. Fun to see. Bit, bit, bit difficult. Uh, Captain Jen. Oh, sorry. Captain Jem comes home and there's like some dancing and there's some singing. I'm sure everyone's wearing kilts, right? Maybe. Maybe not. I kind of, I picture them all wearing kilts, probably because of the book covers. I think That's it's probably why. It's like sweet, the little bit, because Rose is like hiding behind the curtain and Uncle Jem is saying hello to everyone. And then he's like, hey, let me let me see the girl. And like, he hasn't seen her since she was a baby. And it's yeah. just lovely. Like they all love her so much. And it's just you get those moments where you remember that her dad's dead, like their brother is dead. And this is what they have left. And she's with her family. It's... And then the saddest thing happens. Yeah. They were all standing about the hall, lingering over good nights. Then the sound of a voice softly singing Sweet Home made them pause and listen. It was Phoebe, poor little Phoebe, who never had a home and never knew the love of a father or a mother, brother or sister, who stood all alone in the wide world, yet was not sad or afraid. Phoebe. Yeah. But they all that was so her. sad. That's nice. They do. They That's nice. Poor Phoebe. She's gonna she's gonna be alright. We've got some Phoebe stuff coming up. Alright, tell me about it. So, chapter 21. This isn't Phoebe's bit yet, sorry guys. <laughs> A scare. So Aunt Myra's come back over, she's at the house, and she's just like, Alec, I cannot believe you're gonna let Rose go outside. It's after Christmas now, it's still really cold, and Alec's just giving it all like fresh air's gonna be fine for her. You know, she's dressed in those yeah. cool clothes I got her. She'll be all right. She'll be better for a little run. And then, <laughs> then it's like, <laughs> he had just been thinking that Rose had better defer her run till the wind went down and the sun was warmer. But Aunt Myra spoke and he could not resist the temptation to make light of her advice and let Rose brave the cold. So See, I'm really, I'm really glad. I I'm have really a problem with Alec. This fucking asshole is just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll shut you up and kill my niece. <laughs> He's like, I thought this was a terrible idea, but no, kids, go and play Russian roulette with this loaded gun. Go on, because Myra said it's dangerous. Right. Um, and then 
there's it says that like a few times after that he's like driving along or he's at his meetings he's like mm, maybe it is too cold it's pretty windy she shouldn't <laughs> be out there and he also doesn't know that Rose is going to go for this run and then go and meet Mac. And so Mac's like, oh, I'm just going to go meet Rose. And his mum's like, no, the wind is bad for your eyes. You should stay in. Mac's like, listen, she's going to be like, she's very true to her word. She'll be out there waiting. And Aunt Jane is like, I'm not sending you. Your brother's not allowed to go. He's just got his boots off. He's going to have some dinner. She'll be fine. And like, no, just no one cares that Rose is outside. <laughs> And she skates for a bit and like tries to warm up, but she can't. And then eventually she's trying to walk home and the wind is really strong and she just can't. And like, it sounds rough. And then yeah. Alec, he he just finds her in the hallway. So he's like back at home, sat by the fire. Hasn't thought to say to anyone, like, where's Rose? Yeah. <laughs> Where is she? By the way, she's not here. Um, so he finds her in the hallway and she's like, can't, she can't get warm. She can't get her clothes off. She's just like, oh, I kicked my bed. She's, um, she's collapsed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And so everyone's rushing around her. Uh, Phoebe, Debbie, Aunt Plenty, Alec, they're all like rubbing her hands and getting her blankets and trying to get her some tea. And they sit her by the fire and they think that she's okay. Uh, and then she sleeps for a bit, but then it's like, no, can I please go to bed? So then they give her a hot bath, they give her some more tea, they put her in bed, and Alec goes upstairs to Aunt Peace, and he's like, she's fine, she's only got a chill, but that's not true. She is, no. she's got fever, she can't breathe, she has a pain in her side. It's just, it starts um, to build up, it's more and more stressful. They think she's got pneumonia. She, does she get pleurisy? No, they keep saying that she's got they it. They keep saying she's got it, but she doesn't get it. Yeah, because so Which... in this <laughs> chapter, you've got basically Debbie keeps saying like, pneumonia, pleurisy, like all of this stuff. But Alec never actually says any of it. So I'm not sure if that's meant to be... Um... Just hysterical or... Yeah, yeah, like, is this actually what she has? Or is this people kind of jumping to the worst possible conclusion? But he, he is worried yeah. because he's kind of like pacing back and forth and keeping an eye on her and i'm you know i'm glad he got a little scared because you shouldn't use other people to prove your point basically yeah um well, also too like you know he's just not the magical god of parenting he thought he was like come on alec yeah like exactly. this is not like, this is not an easy task actually mm -hmm. <laughs> um, um yeah Charlie drops by. He hears from Phoebe that Rose is sick. And at first he has, like doesn't quite buy how serious it is. But then he kind of realizes. So he goes off and he gives Mac this a really hard time from the sound of it to the point that Mac is like, everyone hates me. I'm the worst person ever. I let this happen. And like he didn't. He wasn't allowed outside. No, it's not his fault. But he could have been more like, well how are we going to tell someone that Rose is meant to be there? Like everyone just mm -hmm. assumed it would be fine and it wasn't, you know? Yeah. Like she got a bit forgotten. Um, mm -hmm. So Mac goes to the great house and he finds Rose lying on her bed. And this is an insane, this is like such a Rose quote. Uh, she was very like an angel already with the golden hair loose on the pillow and the meekness of suffering on her little white face. And I just... <laughs> Like I said, you know, Rose just takes everything in stride. And if that was yeah, me, she I would just be like, Mac, you killed me. Mac does blame himself. 
Rose says that she blames herself. She forgives him. Um, there's this bit. So in the last chapter, there's this whole bit about Charlie is trying to kiss Rose under the mistletoe and she just won't be caught. And he's like trying to get everyone to help him do it. And then they, I think they're playing like dares in the other room. And I think she, she goes off and is dared to go and kiss Mac under the mistletoe. And she does, she gives her uncle Mac a big kiss, not little Mac. And then little Mac's like, oh, I wouldn't have minded if Rose had kissed me, that would be fine. (laughs) And so in this one, she's like, I forgive you. And you know what? I wouldn't give you a snog under the mistletoe, but I'll do it now. And they they make up and then he goes off and falls asleep and is all worn out with trying not to make a baby of himself. So he's taking it pretty uh-huh. hard because he blames himself. Alec blames himself. Um, Rose is just there like a, a little deathly angel. I'm mm-hmm. surprised Aunt Myra isn't there, you know. I know. I My wish Myra was here. Like I, I knew it. <laughs> So in the next chapter, something to do, um, Rose has recovered. She had a lovely few weeks kind of being doted on by everyone, especially Uncle Alec, who's got like the proper uncle guilt. He feels really bad. And so he's just been going all out, full Alec. I'm glad it doesn't describe it because I'm sure Lauren would have had a lot to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he rushes off to go and uh, see to a sick friend. And Rose is really bored. She decides to go and make some caramels with Phoebe for the boys. When she gets down there, she finds uh, Phoebe's having a little cry in her apron. Yeah. And I think this this bit is beautiful. I actually love this chapter. Um, she's, she's trying to teach herself. She's trying to educate herself. And Rose is saying to her, like, well, can I do anything? Like, I've been so selfish. It, it hasn't occurred to me that I have all of these books and these lessons and these things and you don't have any of it. Uh, you don't have any of it. And it's not it's not like a sacrifice. Like I love to share, like I'd be happy to share it with you. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like, this is the point where she realizes what she can do to help Phoebe. Right. Yeah. The whole book, she's like, Oh, Phoebe can go and have a day out or Phoebe can do this or Phoebe can do that. And then I think it's seeing the things that Phoebe's trying to use. So um, Phoebe's tools are a broken slate that had blown off the roof, an inch or two of pencil, an old almanac for a reader, Several bits of brown or yellow paper ironed smoothly and sewed together for a copy book, and the copy sundry receipts written in Aunt Plenty's neat hand. And um, I was just <laughs> thinking about, like, you know, American Girl dolls. Oh, I do I ever <laughs> the, the feet? Like, can you? I can just see the Phoebe American Girl doll, <laughs> and this like the the sad school set. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> and like this is the list on the back of the box. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, God. oh, I was dying when I thought of that. Because obviously, like, I know I my cousins all had American Girl dolls. I really wanted one. And um Did you did you know, did you guys know about them in England? I knew so my cousins lived in Chicago, remember when my Oh okay. Um Yeah. So they all had they all had one. They were all bought one. There's four of them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted Felicity and one of them had Kit, one of them had Molly, one of them had Kristen. The du- is the Dutch one called Kristen? Uh, Kirsten, Kirsten, Kirsten. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my cousin, one of my cousins had Samantha, which is the Victorian one, but oh, she's yeah. brunette. And do you know what? I realized as well that so they all come with these little books, right? And there's this bit oh, that yeah. happens in one of the Samantha books because I read all of them. Um, oh, do you know about me and the American Girl story? <laughs> no, let me finish my story. 
Yes, you go. There's this bit, and Samantha also has this uncle that she loves, right? She has this guardian. And he meets, spoiler alert for American Girl Doll books, by the way. Um, he meets this woman <laughs> and she makes him, she makes him like this little box out of cuttings from magazines and stuff. And she doesn't bother mm-hmm. making a gift for this woman that he's going to marry. But then she gives it to her because she loves her so much. And I think there was a little while where I actually thought that that was in this book. Oh, really? Yeah. So I got, I got, Ro- <laughs> I got Eight Cousins and Rose and Bloom confused with some American Girl Doll book about a kid with <laughs> But, and so when I was reading this bit, that's, I just kept thinking about them so much. That's amazing. I, yeah, I, um, I asked for one every year. So they were big in Chicago because I think actually, I want to say like the original American Girl Doll company was based in like somewhere in the Midwest. I want to say like Wisconsin or something. And we would get the catalog. So this is before Mattel bought them, before like they became like a huge thing. And they were like, you know, very beautiful specialty dolls. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, there was only just a couple of them. And uh, Samantha was one of them. And my mother would only buy me the books. Yeah. (laughs) Like in this just really like sad Uncle Alec lesson. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, I wanted you to know that because I was like an only child for quite a long time. And she was like, I wanted you to know that you couldn't have everything you wanted. So you just really wanted this doll. And so I was like, I'll buy you the books, but I will not buy you the doll. (laughs) That's a very Uncle Alec lesson. Yeah, like that. And like, I wanted a Barbie like motorized car. And she was like, nope. And I would every Christmas and birthday, I was like, I just want this one thing. You don't have to buy me anything else. And then she'd buy me other things. I just and very pointedly, just wanted a sewing machine to the point that it was I was putting on my Christmas list from about the age of twelve, and um, I got a sewing machine on my twenty fifth (laughs) birthday. Well, I got an American Girl doll on my thirty third birthday. So there you go. Will you get me my mother? Will you get me Felicity on my thirtieth birthday? (laughs) It has to be. Maybe I will. So I got one now. For my daughter, because my mom was like, give this to your daughter. Oh, my God. Reed. Yes. Was it a historical one? It's Samantha. It is Samantha. The one that I wanted all along. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Well, think of me when you're reading the Samantha books, because I thought they were written by Louise May Alcott. (laughs) I will. Let's let's move the heck off this. Sure. This actual book. Um, I think it's quite cute because obviously, so Rose offers to teach Phoebe like in a little school and she says to her, I'll teach you all I know and it won't take long. Aww. <laughs> it won't take long. Yeah, well, you know, it's fun. It's just like this fun thing and they can go up and do it. And um, she like sets up the schoolroom and she kind of makes her do some tests just to see where her knowledge is at. And she's like, her geography is very vague. Her grammar's just non-existent, but mm-hmm. she's like super good at maths. And like will probably be better than Rose if she continues with how good she is. Mm-hmm. Um, the boys hear about it, and even like the guys are like, "Yep, yeah, this is a great plan." Like, should we teach her some Greek and Latin? I'm like, "Is this helpful? Is that a little too obscure? Who knows?" It's a little bit. It, yeah, I don't, don't. I don't know if she needs the Greek and the Latin, the maths, the reading, the writing. Let's let's geography. Yeah. Even you know, great. Yeah, um, yeah. Alec comes back and from the sound of it like oh and even aunt plenty aunt plenty is like yeah this is great because my mom used mm-hmm. to teach our maids and i think as long as it doesn't interfere with any of phoebe's work then you should absolutely be doing this so it's almost like right. this is this is the payoff for that sacrifice thing like that 
the first lesson she learns almost right at the end of the book and this is the difference it's like people didn't really understand the day off thing right that was right rose wanted that for her but everyone is completely behind her wanting to educate phoebe Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's great it's lovely um alec comes back he finds rose reading the encyclopedia obviously he's like you should be outside not reading these damn books and rose explains the little school and she says that actually she's trying to justify it and she says to him that it's really helpful for me as well because for example phoebe was asking me about cotton i didn't know anything about cotton uh, about it so now i've researched it and i'm going to go and tell her tomorrow and so rose is now learning more because it's the unknown unknown thing right she doesn't know what she right. doesn't know about and if phoebe asks her a question and she can't answer it then she has to go and learn the answer to teach her mm-hmm. so it's like mutually beneficial and then alex says that Actually, it's something they've been thinking about for a while because it was a firm belief in the family that Phoebe would prove to be somebody sooner or later. Yeah, interesting. So, like the whole family is like, yeah, this girl's like. So this has been something. like, this has suddenly turned into Pygmalion. Yeah, the Debbie's retiring. She's going to go and live with her daughter. They're going to hire a new housekeeper. They're going to hire a new maid, and then Phoebe's job is just going to be being. Um, Rose's servant basically she's Mm -hmm. going to be like her handmaid or whatever and the reason they're doing that so they're going to educate her they're going to like do all of her schooling and her then staying on as a servant is going to be how she like pays for the education because she wouldn't accept charity she's like a very proud hard-working girl and I do think they've come to a very genuine way of like really helping her in so in a way that is super beneficial and that they're not saying like she'll just be an educated servant with us it's like they're kind of anticipating her moving on yeah and so they found a way of her still working and still having the independence without them like adopting her into the fact like which no, right. you know, realistically none of them are going to do um but they can still help her and it isn't like oh she's our little like sad case and um the chapter kind of closes with this lovely paragraph um which kind of just trying to show like how Phoebe pays it back. Um, So it goes, her heart was so full of content that it overflowed in music and the sweet voice singing all about the house gave thanks so blithely that no other words were needed. Her willing feet were never tired of taking steps for those who had smoothed her way. Her skillful hands were always busy in some labour of love for them. And on the face fast growing in comeliness, there was an almost womanly expression of devotion, which proved how well Phoebe had already learned one of life's great lessons, gratitude. And like, it is a little cringy because it's like, oh, yeah. thank you, wealthy people for like looking after me. <laughs> but it's all... I, I don't want to go in too hard on this, but basically, if you're a fan of Phoebe, you should read Rose and Bloom. Okay. Phoebe, like, get has her day. And so this is, like, laying the groundwork for that sequel, basically. Okay. Gotcha. So Rose and Bloom is uh, as much Phoebe's story uh, as it is Rose's, I think. So, chapter 23, Peacemaking. Um, This chapter is... Yeah, I mean, the boys are having a fight. Uh, Steve's at the house and Rose is saying to him, like, are Archie and Charlie having a fight? I've kind of noticed that things are a bit frosty and he doesn't want to tell her. And she's like, I have the right to know because girls are nice peacemakers and they know how to manage people. (laughs) That's a quote. I was just like, oh, we're doing that again. Okay, fine. 
Um, Steve kind of cons her and he says, like, I will tell you if you give me some money. Uh, yeah. Because uh, it turns out he's been, like, gambling and he, like, owes someone uh, $5, which is a little chunk, you know. That's a lot of money for the for time. The money. I, yeah. Um, I thought that was really funny, actually. I just kept laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Steve is, like, an unsung hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, he explains that Charlie has been hanging out with some billiard-playing bad lads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Archie is not happy about it, and so they're not talking. Like, having a fight. I mean, Archie has no sense of humor, so obviously. Archie's fine. He's a bit, like, <laughs> boring. I bet, he, I bet yeah, Archie's, he's like, boring. looking but dull, right? Yeah, he's dull. <laughs> and Charlie's, like, the good time boy. <laughs> he is. He absolutely as is. As we already know, he's the hot one. <laughs> thanks lma thank you um so rose late this is later on rose is at aunt clara's house she's had a lovely time she's like all decked out she's got a little rose in her sash she's been entertaining some guests and kind of just like getting to be because she is still that girl you know that is still the mm-hmm. stuff that she likes and i think like she quite enjoys that having an aunt who can let her do like be being a hostess and staying up late yeah you know um charlie walks in he's a bit drunk he's been drinking champagne he's like he would well, do i'm the host so i've got to you know and they have a bit of a fight because rose is like you shouldn't be drinking and uh, charlie's like that's what archie keeps saying and you're so old-fashioned and then rose gets in a huff and then charlie feels bad and then he actually um earlier on in the book when they have the conversation about smoking rose gave them the earrings and he gives her earring back. He says, yeah. like, I, you know, I've, I've been smoking. Like, you can have it back and you can just <laughs> wear whatever damn earrings you want. And yeah, fact, he's, like, he's like, how about this? How about we mind our own business? Basically, yeah. is how I he took the scene. Like, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. Um, he tosses the earring in her lap and because she's like, well, I can't wear earrings because Archie isn't going to break his promise. And I would look really stupid wearing one earring, wouldn't I? Uh, and oh, she gets so and Char- angry. And Charlie's basically like, "Not my problem. Not my problem. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna go and do this." And so then Rose gets in a huff, and she has a little speech, and she goes, "You are not at all the boy I thought you were, and I don't respect you one bit. I've tried to help you to be good, but you won't let me, and I shall not try it anymore. You talk a great deal about being a gentleman, but you are not, for you've broken your word, and I can never trust you again. I don't <sighs> wish you to go home with me. I'd rather have Mary. Good night." No regards God. to your mother. So yeah, Rose just like leaves. She stomps off. She says goodnight. Uh, turns out Mary's busy. So she just goes on her own. But then Charlie catches up with her. And the two of them do make friends. And he's put the ring back on his watch chain. And he says to her, like, I will try and I will try and quit. And then they have this like little moment. Uh, Rose says to him, the boys, the boys will say you're the brave. <sighs> the boys will say you are the bravest of all seven. And Charlie says, so I am about some things, but I cannot bear to be laughed at. And I think Aww. just like, I know so many guys who are like super brave and they're super confident, but they really succumb to peer pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's because men are getting weak. laughed at, being called lame or like, you know, and then they end up doing really stupid things because they don't want to. Yeah. So I just think that's like a little insight into Charlie, which is quite sad. Uh, again, read Rosenblum. Just say, <clears throat> read the sequel. There, there are some seeds being laid in like this in this last bit of the book. It's interesting. Yeah. 
Um, they keep talking about, like, I, I thought this was a great point to end the chapter, personally, but it keeps going. Um, they discuss the quarrel some more. Uh, Charlie keeps saying that Arch is like a person and he keeps preaching and he's got no right to interfere. And he makes the point, he says like, we are not brothers. And he says, it's hard upon me that I have no brothers and sisters. The others are better off. They don't need to go and find friends if they don't like, I'm on my own. I'd be thankful even for a sister, like, oh, gross. Like even a sister would be fine, I guess. <laughs> and then Rose, pure Rose moment. She's like, I can be your sister. Yeah, of course. Of course she can. I'll be your sister. We can play. Um, and I have no Char one. I'm an orphan, but I'll be your sister. your sister. And then Charlie says that he never missed having siblings when he and Archie were friends. <laughs> because they are brothers. Ah, really? Brothers of the heart, am I right? Um, yeah. So then, and then chapter keeps going. Rose then goes to see Archie. He's just like, listen, my dad is back. I've had stuff to do like I haven't been able to see Charlie that much and the one of the reasons I'm so worried about Charlie and I'm giving him a hard time is that Steve does everything that he does and I'm worried that Charlie's in debt to them and that he's been like gambling and then Rose is like oh actually Steve is in debt and Archie's <laughs> like what the <sighs> and then he's like just get them to ask me for money this is nonsense they shouldn't be asking you and then the next day Charlie and Archie go to see Rose and they say that um, she, here's our little peacemaker and then Charlie looks at her and he goes and my sister and I was like uh. lame <laughs> lame I wish Rose like would have had to have paid the debt like she's gotta get the five pounds or five dollars and she's like she's gotta go to some seedy back alley <laughs> <laughs> like find whoever that's like another book Pay them <laughs> yeah like a little, that's your fan fiction how does rose yeah exactly um so chapter 24 the final chapter this is it we're coming to the end um it's called witch question mark now did anyone lauren maybe you thought this when you read that were you like ah the chapter in which rose chooses which of her cousins to shag <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> come on now it's like her and mac are like destined do you think? I would think that her and Mac would be the ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like Team Charlie. Every time. I, I mean, I love Charlie. He's a great bad lad. He's, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. But, but guys, luckily, these are children, and that's not what this uh, chapter is there's, about. There's incest in other Louisa May Alcott books. Not this one. Not this one. To be clear. To be clear. This one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're kind of back on dangerous ground in terms of gender roles. Uh, but basically, Rose is like, hey, guys, guess what? Um, girls are put on this earth to take care of boys. And I mean, I still hear this. <laughs> I mean, it's, tr <laughs> it's true in that that's what we have to do. But it's not why we're here, in my opinion. No, it's not. Phoebe has the right of it. And she's like, I think girls should learn to uh, take care of themselves first. <laughs> yeah and rose is like oh that's because she doesn't have like seven guys to look after and i'm like yeah lucky you phoebe <laughs> rose says that like oh poor phoebe um uncle alec asks rose if she would mind staying with aunt clara and charlie for a bit they're still trying to get charlie away from these bad lad boys that he's hanging out with and alec says the best cure for charlie is a daily dose of rose water <laughs> mm. or rose and water will you go and see if he takes it 
little pun now, I think we need to go deeper into the text and really analyze Alec's motives for getting Rose away from the home. And that is because Alec has met a new lady. No. Come on, he's got a new... He's like, listen, gotta take a, a little time out from this parenting project. Oh my goodness. That is get not some, Get some stuff done on the side. That's not it. <laughs> His year is nearly up. Okay. Although from the sound of it, so this, I'm guessing this is like nine months after the start of the book because, um, well, I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Alec, you're making me jump head, Lauren. Um, Alec explains <laughs> to her that uh, basically wherever she goes, the boys will go. And then says to himself, mm-hmm. little modesty does not know what a magnet she is, but we'll find out someday. Guess what? Mm-hmm. There's a sequel. <laughs> I'm going to keep, I'm, just everyone should just go and read it and then talk about it on Facebook, but don't talk to me about it. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so she goes to stay with Charlie and his mum, who is, is his mum? Yeah, Clara. Clara. And there's this little paragraph. Slang, rough manners and careless habits were banished or bettered by the presence of the little gentlewoman and all the manly virtues cropping up were encouraged by the hearty admiration bestowed upon them by one whose good opinion all valued more than they confessed, while Rose tried to imitate the good qualities she praised in them, to put away her girlish vanities and fears, to be strong and just and frank and brave, as well as modest, kind and beautiful. So it's kind of just being around Rose, having her about, means that Charlie's back on the straight and narrow. After that, she goes to stay with Aunt Jane and Steve and Mac. And then she goes to stay with Aunt Myra. And I actually really love this bit. Like, this is the fan fiction I would write. Like, that month that she is with Aunt Myra. And, like, just having her around means that Aunt Myra stops taking all those pills. She stops medicating herself. She's sleeping better. Um, And, like, I think just, mate, I just would not have wanted to be a woman at that time. I think that's what no. the book is really like. Just no, thank you. And just being ridiculed Seriously. as well. Like you've, you're in this awful position socially. And then no matter what you do, it's just like, oh, you're too vain. You're not wholesome enough. You're too sickly. And like, how, like, no wonder people are like hysterical or nervous. Yeah. Awful. It's the worst. Awful. Um, the family starts calling Rose uh, the monthly Rose. Mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. each of her visits to the aunts. And it says that she left such pleasant memories of bloom and fragrance behind her that they all wanted the family flower back. Now, do you remember when we were talking about Elizabeth Gaskell and Lily Facts sounded like a book to teach young women about their periods? Totally. Right. Never forget. So um, I would like to propose the Alcott version uh, is calling that time of the month my family flower. <laughs> Or my monthly rose. <laughs> Your monthly rose. Oh, dear. Uh, I just read it and I was like, oh, yeah, I can tell you all about a monthly rose. I, I mean, I when I was reading it, I was definitely like, Alec is just shuffling this kid off so funny. every month so he can live his life. I was just like, my rose is in bloom. That's what I'm going to start saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too much. That no, I much. like it. A bit we should put it on some underwear. Yeah, my rose is <laughs> I would. That's a t-shirt I would have. I would wear that as like a warning t-shirt. Don't come, <laughs> don't come near me. I'm particularly fragrant at the moment. Um, so 
<laughs> oh, I've got to try and read this next bit. Now. Uh, so Alec invites everyone over for tea, all of the adults, and in kind of this true Princess Diaries fashion, he displays to them um, a photo of Rose when she arrived and a photo of her now. And amazingly, nobody can recognise her in either photo. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't get it. They're just like, I didn't oh, it either. what lovely photos. I guess they kind of look like, and they're like, wait, what? That's Rose? What? Oh my goodness. Wow. The shock and amazement. And like yeah what do you think like my experiment's pretty good and everyone everyone is like okay yes like in your own way it's been a success like aunt myra aunt clara yeah. aunt jane jesse all of them they're just like yeah we, it's fine you know we get it alec you're the true rock star of this family you've changed all of our lives we are all better for knowing you but just in case you thought this was an easy ride for him everyone lauren he says mm. none of you know the hindrances i have had the mistakes I've made, the study I've given to the case, and the anxiety he I've often has felt. Suffered. He has <laughs> suffered this year. Uh, he explains that while she is healthy and robust, she has a delicate soul like her mother, and she needs tending like a flower. Yeah. And he says yeah. that they uh, they all want to have her for a year, but it is absolutely her decision. And then He's kind of stood by the fire, holding it together, looking really brave. And then we get the, the dang reveal. The mystery is solved, everyone. Alec was in love with her mum. Yeah. The aunts yeah. understood how dear the child was to the solitary man who had loved her mother years ago. Yep. The great mystery is that he loves her like his own child because he wishes that she was his child. And that's why True the brothers story. fell out. Yeah. There you have Guys. it. See, worth Mystery the wait. Solved. Now it all makes worth sense. Worth the wait. Close the, you, you don't know. even need to read the rest of this book. <laughs> Alex's story has come to a conclusion. Um, So she's looking around the room. Everyone's like staring. She goes, I better go where I'm needed most. And then Aunt Myra's like, my sainted Caroline. It's like, not you, Myra. <laughs> Calm <laughs> Not everything's down. about you, Myra. Not you. <laughs> Uh, she says, I don't need any time. I know who I love best, who I'm happiest with. I choose uncle. Will he have me? Uh, cried Rose in a tone that produced a sympathetic thrill amongst the hearers. It was so full of tender confidence and love. Hmm. Um, obviously, Alec immediately ruins it by comparing her to a piece of livestock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the worst. All of the aunts look on and Rose and Alec have a cuddle and the, the cousins dance in a ring around them and Phoebe makes bird noises and that's the end. The that's the end. That's the end. That's, that's so the she end. picked Alec. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Shocker. Alec, well done. Well done, Alec. We'll see you in Rose and Bloom. All right. <clears throat> <clears throat> So you have never read The Secret Garden. I, it was on my shelf. So The Little Princess, The Secret Garden, Black Beauty, Treasure Island, like had all of these. And actually it's funny that like the books that I did pick up in comparison to the ones that I didn't, I don't know why I never read it. I had it. I feel like you would have loved it too. Yeah. So what I did yesterday, um, what I did yesterday at work is I just started listening to the audiobook. Mm -hmm. I got halfway through. It's um, nearly seven hours long. I'm three and a half hours in. 
<laughs> I was going to finish listening to it this morning. Um, and I listened to like maybe another 40 minutes, but we had to record but then this you were episode. Just, we had to record this and there was the royal wedding on. It's I like was a lot. watching the royal wedding. Yep. Um, so yeah, my God. The, like how wonderful is the secret garden? <laughs> it's not that first chapter i've been oh, like i haven't reread the whole thing but i pulled it down off my sh- like shelf and i was like let me reread this i haven't read this book for the first 20, chapter 20 years fire it's so <laughs> good <laughs> what the hell like also, i was like in the movie oh. it's like there's an earthquake my family loved me but there's an earthquake and then right in right the film, it's just, like in the book it's just like everyone dies in the first chapter of this book it's insane yeah i mean like if you're comparing the first chapter of eight cousins and like secret garden it's like we're, we're already into it with rose we're already a year in like she's mm-hmm. just kind of like she's sad she's still a little bit depressed um we like immediately get started with mary like here's her life her parents never gave a shit about her, her parents don't love her she's um do you know what's funny though so you know she's described as being like really yellow because she was just ill all the yeah. time I worked mm-hmm. with a really lovely guy called Mike and he told me that um, his, I can't remember what their job was, but his parents, he grew up in Israel as a baby and he was really sick. And so he, and he was really yellow. Mm-hmm. And when he came back, uh, all of the family was like, what's going on? Why is the kid so, so like yellow? And he, I, I can't remember what he had, but he was like, he used to say to me that he felt like the little girl in the secret garden and i never got it i didn't get the reference and then you read this and then i read it yeah (laughs) and like and if you just compare the two girls like rose versus mary they are just at odds rose is perfection she's beautiful she's kind like everyone loves her and mary is me i love mary (laughs) she's just a miserable little bitch shit she's a little shithead yeah, every chapter it feels like in that in that beginning they are like pointing out like just what a little monster she like, is. So like, unpleasant. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. like she's a little racist, ugly, yellow monster. I think these these books are like light and dark. Yes, but absolutely. I think I I think I'm only halfway through it, but I think the Secret Garden is like so much better. <laughs> it's crazy. Um. So yeah, I d- exactly. So Rose, Mary, that's the perfect way to say it. They're just light and dark. Like they're mm-hmm. like same, same, about the same age. Very same situation. Yeah, totally. Parents dead. The they two were. uncles. Two uncles. And I mean, how much is um those next couple chapters, like when she's actually traveling across the moors oh, yeah. to go live with her uncle in England, leaving India. Um, it's just like so Jane Eyre. Yeah, it's so She's Jane Eyre. Going to this remote, you know, gothic home th- to this uncle that she knows nothing about. Same with Rose. She's going to this uncle. She doesn't know anything about this man. And um, he, she's like, you know, I've heard he's a hunchback. Um, he's like never there. I might never see him. Like he's just this mysterious figure. Yeah. But I just, and like, I think as as well, just like Alec is super involved, and then the uncle is—I well, can't remember what his name is—Mr. Craven. Um, yeah, never he's, there. And he's like he's never ab- there. Opposite, absent. He wants nothing to do with her, and he is just like, "I will buy you whatever you want, but I, I just don't want to be involved in you." But then yeah. the things that are being diagnosed are like lots of fresh air, just being outside, running around. Um, 
Yeah. Well, Martha the servant in this one. So for, you know, looking at like Phoebe Rose, Martha mm-hmm. Mary. Martha's very much, I feel like, the Alec where, because she's the one like giving you all the, all the advice, all the like yep. sisterly, motherly life advice. So we had talked a little bit about this on the show last week. I think it got cut out where we talked about, you know, comparing Phoebe and Rose and Martha and Mary. The power dynamics are completely different. Absolutely. The relationships. But I think it's, I think that, I think, I think Martha just has so much more power than Phoebe yes. does because she's not like Mary's the ignorant one. And yes. so Martha is the one kind of ex- explaining life to her yeah. and like telling her what she can or can't do. And you just don't have that with Phoebe and Rose. You don't. And Martha, she's older. Mm-hmm. She's like, she has this job in this house where she doesn't really see the master. Like she's just, you know, beholden to the housekeeper. She kind of has a lot of freedom. She doesn't want to lose her job. But no. she isn't as nervous of her. Like, she's a lot more confident in her position than yeah. Phoebe is, um, especially at the start of the story. Um, I will say the first chapter of uh, Secret Garden, one of the other things I love about it, great race conversation starter as well. Because mm-hmm. I remember talking about it with my mother when I was a child, because Mary doesn't see any of her Indian servants as people, right? right. She's just like, these people are here to make me happy. And... Um, when she goes to England and Martha hears that she's coming from India, like Martha's like, maybe she's Indian. Well, she thinks she's gonna, she, she keeps saying, like, be- I thought you were going to be a black. Yeah. And she's so excited at the prospect. She was just like, I can't believe I'm going to meet someone foreign. And Mary is horrified. Like, oh my God, how can you think that of me? She always, she uses the word natives as an insult. Yes. I, I do think that um, Burnett does like a much better job uh, at tackling race and otherness in that it's repugnant. Like when Mary is saying yeah. all of that stuff, it is a, a character that you do not like. They're not sympathetic. They are unpleasant. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things are coming from the, the voice of someone who's wrong. And then when Martha is like talking about her curiosity, that's coming from a character who's ignorant. Right. Right. Exactly. And so when you read it as a modern day reader, you you it's like this is you've like kind of whiplash back from it. You're like, oh god, this is this is a hard read. But it isn't patronizing in the way no. that it was in Eight Cousins. Does that it's not like, oh see how totally like, it's so funny that he's like dressed like an American when Fun C comes to dinner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um it's like it, it just feels more it it felt more honest. Yeah, it feels honest. It, it it's feels, hard, but um, it's honest. It's it's hard. I I love that it's in there though, because I'm yeah. just like, oh yeah, I remembered having this conversation with my parents because, you know, my mother tried to like explain slavery to me as much as she could when I was a little child, and I couldn't understand like how people could do that to other people. And then I'm like, oh, this places me in the mindset of someone who's like, I don't even see this as a person. Like, yeah, this is just a, like someone someone here to serve me. Mm-hmm. so um love love the first chapters um yeah i think we tackled the relationship with the uncles pretty yeah. well like yeah i mean alec super involved he's the voice of reason craven is on a journey mm-hmm. he's a, he's a man on a journey <laughs> which is nice like his journey sort of mimics mary's journey without throughout the secret garden i'm so i'm <laughs> gonna keep like i know we're recording this now but i think i'm just gonna listen to it tonight and just 
It's a great book. Great book. It's great to read too. It, it, I listened to a little bit of it on LibriVox and then I also pulled down my own cha- uh, book. It reads well um, both ways is what I like. It's great. Lovely oh, sentences Colin. in there. Colin's described as a bad lad. I, so I was listening to it in the office and um, I can't remember. In, he's like having he's having a tantrum about something. Colin's the sickly cousin who's like hidden away in the house right and he's he's like the Jane Eyre mystery like who's in the house oh my gosh something's yeah I'm hearing I'm hearing crying I'm hearing like noises in the night which is definitely like yeah mad woman in the attic except for it's invalid cousin in the bedroom invalid cousin in the bedroom and uh yeah he's just the phrase bad lad just is uttered and I lost (laughs) my shit I was at my desk and I just paused it and I turned around I went Tom (laughs) they said bad lad my poor my poor um editor was just like oh Hannah calm down please like you don't understand this is a quiet workplace and I'm just like (laughs) bad lad bad lad very bad lad (laughs) yeah loved it I was living for it yeah I got a great relationship with the cousins these two cousins that sort of bond over illness and Mm -hmm. Mary is nursing him but she's more nursing him not out of like not out of like dedication or like womanly duty, it's more like I need something to do. Yeah, you're the only other person here, and then Colin becomes quite like obsessed with her. Yeah, um, I love the which love is interesting. triangle. <laughs> the love triangle is great. We could have used a love triangle in Eight Cousins, but I, you know, we have Rose and Bloom coming. Rose and so. Bloom's coming, baby. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm sure there's one there. Um, Lauren, who do this you think is, a- is in the love triangle in Rose and Bloom? It, are the cousins in the love triangle? Or I, I assume there'd be new characters. I'm not answering. I just want to know who. Oh, I guess that was a ruined. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> There's not that I many new characters. I'll say. This. I thought there were gonna be like two dudes. Here's what I think Rose and Bloom's about. I don't know. <laughs> I think Rose is a few years older. Mm-hmm. Um. I hope her and Phoebe have kind of fallen out a little bit and there's a little compare and contrast. Like, okay. I hope there's a little tension between their, their relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that Clara has maybe introduced Rose into society mm-hmm. and she meets someone who's, who, who allocates. And then maybe one of the cousins starts vying for her affections. That's maybe I don't know which cousin, you know, I you know, I pull from Mac. But. Well, maybe it's Archie. You should read it. I'm just throwing that out there. Just, I, I don't know. I should. Um, There's like an unofficial sequel to Secret Garden, the movie version I've never seen, but I've heard about. But she's not with Dickon in it. I think Dickon dies in the war. Yeah, which I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm yeah, not. I, um, but you know what? He probably would have died in the war. Yeah, probably. It might be like, but these are not the droids I'm looking for. I know, <laughs> I just, absolutely. Absolutely. Please, please don't people, kill Dickon. Like I have, I've never seen um, the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, but just the description of it, it just sounds unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> Anything where, like, ah, uh, and even the princess diaries, like, I 
second time I've mentioned it this episode. The fact that she doesn't get with the guy. And I know it's it's true to life. It is, it right. is true to life, whatever. But um, it just breaks my little optimist heart it, every time. It breaks my heart, too. I mean, because here's the thing. Like, I was reading this book. It was taking me back. The chapters about Dickens are great. Well, I love the way that Dickens introduced. I mean, the thing of, like, just the big contrast, idea. too, between, like, Eight Cousins and Secret Garden is... Um, Mary's very curious about all these other people, right? She's very mm-hmm. curious. It's like she she doesn't know people. People don't like her. Mm-hmm. Like she's afraid to make you know to have relationships with people. Whereas like Rose is just like attacked by like a million people yeah, nonstop. Like she can't get any peace. Yeah, yeah. I think and what's what it's just like it's the mum. Like every time Martha's talking about her family, Mary's like, "Would your would your mum like me?" And she goes, yeah, "Right." I think so. And she's like, "Would Dick and like me?" And it's like, "Yeah, I think so." just about and it's like would your mum be happy about that it's like yeah it's like would dick and be happy about that yeah exactly may you are hungry for a dick and she is (laughs) beep that please or cut it out don't but you know what's crazy it's like when he's finally introduced you have all that anticipation too so great i love like building up a character and then they he finally turns up he's just there surrounded by fucking woodland animals (laughs) yes and like i feel like i was reading it my heart skipped a beat i was like oh my gosh i felt like i was having a fever dream i know and just um describing the way he smells too Mm -hmm. and just like like, i think these details I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to read some of Francis's adult material because I'm wondering if she's going to give me some Gaskell feels, you know, the way I feel about John Thornton. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, do you know what, though? And it's like, obviously, like kids in it or whatever. But when when you're a child and you, you meet someone like it's it's so that first person. Like, I think, I think Burnett is doing, like, this insanely good job of capturing um, how, how it feels when you first, like, your first love, right? The first, yeah. and they are just everything. And you don't understand how life has been before that. And it's those feelings, like, erupting in all of the characters, in the relationship between all of them, and just Colin's jealousy, like yeah, nothing, I mean he hasn't met Dickon where I am in the book, but um, it Mary's just gone and spent the day with Dickon instead of him, and he's just like, I'm gonna send him away. I'm like, he he's never coming yeah. back. He's never coming back here because you're mine. And it's just right. like, yes, that happens. <laughs> it does. It does. Oh my god, it's uh. a book of such feeling and um, feeling that like holds up on a second reading. Mm-hmm. And I will say. It is interesting reading Eight Cousins and The Secret Garden back to back. And I totally recommend that you guys do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of the same themes. I mean, obviously, the big theme is the rejuvenation, right? And just like, you know, these orphan girls who are starting from a place of depression and isolation and their journey throughout a year of their life and how they like kind of come back to life. The Secret Garden, it's very focused on, you know, outdoor, like, Mary learning by experience, meeting people, like d- learning by doing. Yeah, and it's much, um, so very it's similar. It is much more self-led. So um, very similar books, but also light and dark, like total opposites, night and day. Yeah. 
Um, yes, it was published in 1911. Um, Eight Cousins was 1875. So things have changed. Writing Mm -hmm. styles have changed for children. Our ideas about children's education have changed slightly. Um, However, I will say Louisa May Alcott and Francis are contemporaries. I think Louisa and Francis are two very interesting ladies, too, which we talked about at the beginning of the season. I think they're kind of similar ladies. They're pretty... um, they're pretty progressive. They're pretty strong-minded, independent women, career women. Yeah. Both of them, when they started their careers, um, were writing for cash, too. In fact, like with Frances's first submission, because her family was dirt poor, just like Louisa's. And she's like, I need to make money to take care of my family. Yeah. Um, with like in her cover letter, she was basically like, this is for money. <laughs> Pay me. Yeah. Give me give me the dosh. Yeah, that's what she says. Like, she's just like flat out like, this is one of the jobs as a woman like I can do. I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. I need to get paid. Not like, I'm not here for anything else. <laughs> um, When she wrote The Secret Garden, she was pretty well established. I mean, she has like an insane career. This woman was ridiculously prolific. Yeah. But I think it's important to compare who both of these women are writing for. So the secret garden was serialized, but it was serialized in an adult magazine. Okay. That was yeah, that makes marketed to, to women. Yeah. yeah. So this would be marketed to the moms, right? Mm-hmm. She wanted you to get this, like eventually get this book for your child. But yeah, she's definitely speaking to two different audiences. So yeah. that's why the book is darker. There's more. It's darker. We go into the it, adult perspectives a lot more than we do in Rose and Bloom. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that was called the American magazine. Other contributors to the American magazine include like Arthur Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie, PG Woodhouse, okay. Upton Sinclair. So that's the level of writing that we're talking about in yeah. the American magazine. Um, Eight Cousins was serialized in St. Nicholas magazine. So that is exclusively a children's magazine. Okay. Now, that magazine was edited by Mary Mapes Dodge. Mm-hmm. And Mary's a really interesting figure. I feel like she'll probably come back up again in this podcast. She was a very celebrated editor of her day. Um, what I like about her is that she's like described as like very progressive, but non-confrontational. Okay. Which I think is kind of an, a good way to describe certain editors. Yeah. And, like, she's very friendly and she made connections very easily. So that was kind of her thing. She was a very, she was very smart. She was a staunch feminist. But she was also very, like, like, non-threatening to men. Men who would put her in a position of power. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. For the time. So, yeah. Um, and she had all these great connections. So she knew Frances very well. She was BFF with Harriet Beecher Stowe. Um, she knew Louisa very, very well. Um yeah, I just feel like if you do like the six degrees of separation, it's mm-hmm. like Harriet Beecher Stowe was also like gal pals with George Eliot and Elizabeth Gaskell. And yeah. <laughs> everybody knew everybody. Everyone knew everyone. Yeah. So um, she's the one that uh, started this relationship with Louisa and got her to write for St. Nicholas Magazine. St. Nicholas Magazine was kind of a higher end publication. So I do feel like this would have been picked up by those upper middle class children who probably had servants at home. Yeah. 
And it was really well known for its like beautiful illustrations, which kind of like ticked up the price. Um, yeah. And it also like they attracted some really great writers like Francis actually wrote for them. Mark Twain actually wrote for them. It's a it's a great magazine, but it's also very wholesome. And Mary did this thing where she within the magazine broke it down by age group. So like super early readers up to like young adults. And I don't know if she was the first one to do that, but certainly it was kind of, it was, it was kind of groundbreaking, right? Speaking yeah. to different levels of child, basically, not just lumping them all into one, yeah, to one like, place. There's children at different ages and have different intelligence levels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she was trying to really appeal to them and really create like a place just for them. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think, yeah, like Eight Cousins is definitely reinforcing the brand. And so, yeah, 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 that's great. That's, a, that's like, like super <laughs> quick and rushed, like ah, it is. Garden. But, you know, we just wanted to get a little bit of Frances in there, um, get her on your minds because we're going to be discussing her more as yeah. she's fascinating. There's not a lot of bios or like material out there on Frances, which is really upsetting. <laughs> So if you guys want to do some reading on her before we tackle her this fall, um, I will say the book I just ordered was the one I knew best of all, which is uh, Francis's own memoir. So oh. just get it straight from the yeah, horse's mouth. Straight from the horse's yeah. mouth. Yeah. So yeah, that is, uh, that's wrapping us up on the eight cousins. There were a couple of comments on Facebook, which weren't like super relevant to specific chapters, but I thought were great. So I'm going to just throw those mm-hmm. in real quick. Um, Alison, you were talking um, about basically reading reading this book as a child and I'm with you, the complicated feelings that it brings up. So you said, I revisit this book, which preaches what a lot of content aimed at kids tends to preach. Be good and everyone will love you and you'll live happily ever after except that's not actually how the world works. And rereading this book has made me wonder if reading this stuff as a kid ended up doing more damage to my self-esteem than helping me live a fulfilled life. And yeah, like, I think you can read stuff like this and be like, oh, the reason that I'm unhappy is because I'm shit. Mm -hmm. Right? So I think you get that from Eight Cousins because it's like, oh, Rose falls off a horse and she's everyone loves her because she doesn't complain or like she just does that. And it's just, it's not realistic all the time. Like it isn't, it isn't realistic that like a child would be ill that many times, just take everything with such good grace. Like it's okay to, and so I think that's maybe why I reacted so strongly to Mary after eight cousins as an adult was just like, Oh, this is the child I was. Right. You know? Right. So I thought that was a great comment. And then, um, there is, guys, there's an excellent, excellent thread in the Facebook group. Uh, under each week, we post the episode link for people. And then under last week's episode, uh, people were talking about um, progressive women writers. And so there was lots of Bronte and Austin discussion. George Eliot comes up. So I would recommend going and having a read of that. Uh, but Sarah said, my understanding is that the Victorian 
house angel archetype was also an effect of the industrial revolution an ideological way for men to control women's sexuality now that they were less likely to be working together all day on farms with their whole extended family and before the 19th century the general idea was that women are more wild and earthy than men and therefore more fickle as per the climatic dialogue in persuasion after the first few decades of the 1800s the script flipped I just thought that was like a nice way of kind of bringing us through Gaskell and Alcott and Brontes and Austin and just like how women are perceived as changing and how that's getting reflected in in literature and like Mm -hmm. and our treatment of women and so yeah just and loads of just loads of other authors were discussed so join the Facebook group guys yeah seriously and um if they do want to join the Facebook group Hannah where where should how do they do that it's so hard where do you go goodness how do you where do you go um so there's great discussion all over the place guys you know as always you can find us on instagram and twitter at bonnets at dawn you can email us for a discussion bonnets at dawn at gmail.com or the beautiful wonderful very busy facebook group just search bonnets at dawn it's there it's waiting for you arms wide Mm -hmm. open like uncle alec when he's right It is. It is indeed. And um, we do want to say we love you guys and all your your comments and your emails. And um, we would like to do sort of like a viewer, no, a listener mailbag. A listener mailbag. Yeah. Thank God we're not on TV. Thank yeah. God I'm not on TV. Give me the show, um, guys. Give me the show. I've got the face for radio, <laughs> but I just, I think I, I could be the new Lucy Worsley. I'll just swear. <laughs> the swearing Lucy. Um, yeah, we just, we've had such great conversations with you guys and you guys have written so many amazing, thoughtful emails and we are going to do like a listener episode very soon here. Cause, um, yeah, we've been, we've been a little wordy talking about eight cousins and Louisa May Alcott lately. So we don't want to bore you too much. Yeah. I mean, it's also a great time for you to get those reviews in, you know, <laughs> leave us a review <laughs> on iTunes. That'd be great. Great. Uh, great times. And on that note, uh, should we say goodbye? <laughs> Yes, let's do it. We beg. Bye. Bye.